Before I get into the episode, I have to tell you about Making Marketing. It's a weekly conversation with people who are at the front line of innovation and marketing, be it data, brand safety, transparency, relationship with platforms, or emerging markets like cannabis. Some of our recent guests include David Dancer of MedMen, Drogafi's Neil Heyman, and Vimla Bak Gupta of Equinox. Tune in on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangal. We held a one-day event in Los Angeles, California on the future of entertainment. This session is with Kevin Riley, CCO and President of TBS and TNT, both of which are Turner Properties. He talks about how the entertainment landscape has shifted dramatically in the last three years. What are your thoughts on TV execs getting all the jobs really quickly? <laughs> uh, I do know for a fact many of them that get those jobs should not have them. Okay. I think a lot of people in the room will probably be happy that you said that. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to, uh, Kevin, I'd love to start with sort of um, this very broad question in the sense that you, you know, you're running two networks. You're also running these multi-platform businesses that have inevitably grown out of them and, yep. and other areas of the company. Um, you guys have made a ton of big bets in the last year, and you're going to be making more as yep. you go forward. Uh, but in today's market, what is a hit? For Turner, uh, for TNT, for TBS, for Turner in general, like what what what, what becomes a hit in your mind? Yeah, the hit. Well, the hit in the age of ubiquity is an interesting thing. I mean, we still make no mistake. Every service needs them, however they're measured, whether they're internal metrics, their data tells them. You know, you can name them. I mean, we know that Netflix doesn't publish their their data of which is doing better, but I think we could probably go around the room and name their hits. So it, it becomes very, very critical, even as what does a hit mean anymore and how do you measure it? We do still start with our good old friend, the Nielsen rating, which someday maybe will be liberated from that thing. But it is still a marker of measurement in this day and age. Mm -hmm. We still have a disproportionate amount of the shows that we put on get to the top of that. Mm -hmm. If they don't, we begin to look for cultural markers, social chatter, Metacritic scores, mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, awards, while you see the Emmy Awards just getting lower and lower and lower in terms of viewership as a, as, a, as a viewer event, which if we don't overhaul, I mean, I don't know who would watch that these days. It's just ridiculous. It needs a new format. Nevertheless, that trophy still stands for a certain amount of excellence that gets celebrated and should get celebrated. So it's really all of the above. I mean, we kind of do a little triangle of markers because even throughout my career when I started, you know, I'm old enough to have started when there were, you know, only four networks, that uh, a lot of times you had to bet. I mean, some of my biggest successes were the things that were not obvious hits from the get. They were the worst, and mm -hmm. then they became the best. So you've got to have certain markers of belief, and that's kind of what I say in general. It's, for me today, gut data gut. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to start with your gut, then you've got to collect whatever data you can, and then stick with your gut. So I'd be curious to know, like, in terms of it, not, it, no, it no longer being a, uh, a linear world, it's a, it's a, it's a world of ubiqu uh, ubiquity. Um, when, you, when we talk about programming like The Alienist or any of the originals yeah. that, uh, that you guys are doing, how does it break down? How many people are still watching these things? How much of its audience is on, on true linear, and how much of it is on streaming, on whether it's Turner's platforms or something like a Hulu or something else? Like, how do you, how do you break that down these days? Well, it's one, of, by the way, I, this is a 
Interesting format for me. I've never done this. Can I do like, yeah. has anyone done like the Donald Trump debate thing? Like, yeah. Can I do this? So, I'll just go this way and ask uh, the same yeah. question. Uh, uh, look, it's this probably, you know, in, when my head explodes, it's one of the things that helps make it explode is that if we truly, truly could capture the long tail viewing and, and get it to be an accepted metric and be able to monetize it better throughout the line, the health of television, of linear television, taking nothing away from the environmental issues we are in the on-demand universe and the other things we'll talk about, it would look a hell of a lot healthier because the fact that we're still here selling and talking about, you know, maybe an L7 rating experience, you know, still tied to L3 and then we negotiate to an L7 is preposterous. Mm -hmm. I mean, who in this room, have we lost power? Oh, we're back. Uh, <laughs> Who in this room would ever view that way? I mean, we live in a world, that was for me the, one of the big markers where I knew just anecdotally things were changing when everybody was saying that, uh, you know, Netflix, we were selling to Netflix because it was a negligible, you know, they were gonna go out of business. But you could see when you would talk to people and say, have you heard of my show? And they would, you could say, say yeah, that looks good. But they, you could see in their eyes or in the course of the conversation, they did not intend to watch it on Tuesday or next week. They would watch it six months, a year, sometime between now and death. Mm -hmm. And that is not good for our business model, mm -hmm. which was looking for same-day measurement. So when we do the roll-up of these, the multi-platform roll-up over 35 days, 60 days, yeah, there's a, there's a little spike in the linear world, but it flattens out and goes out like this. And that is the advantage to when ultimately the biggest reason why you would ultimately want your own long tail experience mm -hmm. is so that when you start it here, you can continue to capture the value of that show throughout its life cycle. Right. And also, like, I mean, by going to Netflix, did it not at least to some, uh, to some extent disintermediate the brand? Because, you know, if I watch the show, I like the show, but it's on Netflix, so I'm not attributing it to a TNT or a TBS or any kind of network that originally least No, no, we had an unbelievable thing recently where somebody in my, uh, that builds our platforms for us, that the, the TNT TBS app, mm -hmm. got a viewer complaint that was forwarded to them from Amazon. So we have a show called Animal Kingdom that has done very, very well for us. And it's been this kind of sleeper, success. it was in the top 20 in its first year, but it's grown and sort of maintained while all of the shows have gone down in their subsequent seasons. Mm -hmm. It kind of caught on. Anyway, Warner Brothers produces it, our studio. We put it on the air and marketed it and made it a certain success and linear. Warner Brothers sold it to Amazon. A viewer got into the show on Amazon, thought it was an Amazon original, but then after they binged the first two seasons, wanted to watch the third, and they were directed to TNT, where they were complaining. They said, I might drop my Prime subscription because if this is the kind of shit I'm gonna experience, where they send me to another network who then wants me to download their app and then watch it with commercials, this is bullshit. <laughs> Now, I understand that is bullshit from a consumer experience, but what's wrong with that where we own it, yeah. produce it, market it, make it something, sell it to another party, but then it becomes some weird consumer experience over there. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately what we'd like to do is complete the virtuous circle in-house and have that attribute back to us. So let's talk about that, right? It's Warner Media now, yeah. uh, uh, Turner being one of the, 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 the key brands inside the, inside the portfolio. What, what's sort of Turner's role going forward in terms of how you exist now as part of this newer entity and a newer corporate structure? 
Uh, and that's being defined as we speak, and we'll obviously we'll we'll stand on a stage and walk around and talk about it sure. again in a in a year. Uh, but I guess I would just say this: these linear businesses are many of them are going to go under uh, into serious distress, mm -hmm. and and some are going to go away just because they will not be able to sustain as a standalone business model. Our first bet is that with our small cluster of networks that are, have a lot of value and a lot of assets, that we'll play through this. I mean, this industry, first of all, you know, these are multi-billion dollar businesses at, at Turner that run on a really high margin. I look at it sometimes and I read an article about how things are dead and I look and I go, wow, would some people love to have this death, this multi-billion dollar death on a you know, really plus 40% margin. And with that said, there's stress. So, but these sweeping statements with something's dead or it's this, you know, I think we've all lived our own cycles, even in your particular areas about that. Their ad-supported linear television is going to play through in a certain fashion. We'll talk about what that experience may have to turn into. Number one, we're betting that these things are going to be amongst the cluster of networks that will be offered hopefully with more on demand, hopefully with a better ad experience, but that they'll be there. So number one, keep them as vital as they can be. Number two, while it has been said, John Snaggy talked about it a few weeks ago, we are gonna make an enormous commitment to reprioritize and rewire the company into more of a self-distributed universe with our own uh, platform, our own DTC experience. That is going to be an important prerogative, I mean, uh, imperative. But um, the other businesses, what happens, I think, sometimes with some of the analysis is that every, all the other businesses are just a drag on that compared to the very agile business of Netflix, say. Netflix has done an, an incredible job. But when you think about healthy, let's just say healthy ecosystems, like a monoculture crop, like monoagriculture. It's very, very efficient, but over time, it actually begins to show its inefficiencies. I believe in the growing IP and the opportunity for talent to exploit things, both monetarily and creatively, having different platforms to do that. I have certainly talked to many, many producers who have gotten trapped in the algorithm. Mm -hmm. They haven't made their way to the top. They've gotten renewed, they're doing okay, but this was maybe one of their shots to really get out there. They don't have other places to go and talk about it. Mm -hmm. They're not being marketed outside the service. They're a little trapped in the algorithm. I believe that having this diverse diversity of platforms ultimately will be, so it's not an either or. Continued investment on the, on the linear channels, uh, whether it's through virtual MVPDs and some of the traditional distributors as well, but also building out uh, this SVOD or whatever version of that direct-to-consumer platform. That yeah, now the out. trick is it's gonna be a tremendous amount of brain damage reworking the system to accommodate this very okay. this yeah, new it, business. Isn't it, it going to uh, almost necessitate, like you're going to forgo money, in, at least in the short term, right? Because the, the first thing I think about is like if you're going to pull these networks together into a DTC platform uh, and it's going to have your own content, that necessitates, well, we're going to pull all of our movies and our shows back to us and therefore goodbye the, you know, the licensing revenue that was yes. given to us for years. So like, is that just like, that's, we have to accept that uh, and as we move forward with this? Well, Yes, that is something we're going to do. But of course, what everybody writes about 
and with real truth to it, which is you gotta, you're trying to make quarterly profits while you're pulling down the means of providing some of those profits mm -hmm. when you could sell these lucrative assets to third parties. Right. What we've learned, though, is that the short-term nature of that victory, you make the quarterly profit, and then you've just given another service the club to beat you over the head with. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Um, how, how does it work, I think, on the, uh, just one more question on that front, on the opposite way. Like, when you have a TNT or a TBS, which has a lot of licensed programming yes. uh, uh, that airs on it throughout yep. the week, uh, if that gets pulled back, what does that mean for, for, for those linear channels? Like, is it producing more original productions? Is that, is that the only answer in, in that environment? Yeah, I mean, as we've... I'd, I'd say one of the things that's weirdly solved the problem for us is for the literally thousands of shows we could buy to put on our air, sadly, very few of them, if not any of them today, would perform at the level of like a 30-year-old Seinfeld episode. Mm -hmm. So the truth is, pulling down, really, it becomes more potent in the movie business, and mm -hmm. that is what you're seeing play out now as... Clearly, Disney has said they're no longer doing it. I think you can anticipate that Warner Brothers would, I'm not going to make a sweeping statement that they're not selling anything on the open market, mm -hmm. uh, but you're going to see more and more of the titles held inside of our own ecosystem. I mean, you alluded to it earlier, you know, we are truly going to be an even more of a, it's always been a frenemies world, right? right? I mean, you know, suppliers and buyers, networks and distributors, you know, there's always been this, mm -hmm healthy tension where you're at one company that may be competing on one and selling to them on another. That entire thing is just getting more amped up. As these larger companies become more self-distributed worlds, mm -hmm. I do believe that not everything ultimately is going to be 100% owned within your own world. There was going to have to be, in these very big companies, a percentage of business that gets taken outside to, to third parties. Okay. What the formula is, I don't know right now. Sure. But we're not, we're more interested right now in the movies and how that plays out. Sure. Uh, because that's gonna be the first big one. Okay. Um, so uh, we talked, uh, briefly mentioned this earlier, but uh, you guys have been taking much bigger swings yeah. uh, recently. Alienist, you have more coming up. Yes. Um, uh, it's very much centered on, on talent, right? Yeah. So I'd love to get a sense of, how much of a focus that is right now uh, within Turner in terms of making these types of talent-led investments in programming and, and, and businesses? I know you have sort of the, the, the new Conan partnership, for example, yeah. and we are in an environment where you have everyone from, from Netflix to, to, uh, to, to networks just, you know, putting down their, uh, putting down, like, table, uh, their, their stakes with their talent on the ground. So like, how much of a focus are you, how much of time are you spending on partnering with talent around programming and, and, and content? Well, in entertainment, it begins and ends with talent. Right. If you've lost touch with the talent, and now the talent is emergent, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that's one of the great things that has happened with all the competition is, you know, the bottleneck was never the best for talent, mm -hmm. because there were a lot of people that had different points of view that was, couldn't necessarily fit into the more cookie-cutter mold. Mm -hmm. um, and that even begins with diversity of programming, not just creativity, but ethnicity and gender and everything else. As you have a wider swath of audience segments now that can be spoken to, you can, it, it allows for more creativity. Mm -hmm. So, and that goes all the way up to the J.J. Abrams of the world, who or are Ridley incredibly critical, or Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott who yeah. we just announced something with. So, sure, having the biggest names in the business is, is like a beacon for a big commitment. 
If you look at it historically, though, it doesn't necessarily mean that's always where the very best always comes from. Mm -hmm. You know, television in particular has always been great at creating stars. And so knowing when somebody's got the voice and they're ready to do it themselves. But to answer your question, we are obsessive every day about finding the new generation, bringing them up. Um, but there wasn't any sort of like, uh, I, I know there's a lot of ink given to this, but like when you have like the Netflixes of the world saying we're going to spend hundreds of million dollars yeah. to, to get someone like a Shonda Rhimes or, or, or Ryan Murphy, that there's no sort of like, it, it doesn't force sort of all the competitors to be like, okay, now we got to start doing something like that too. We got to work with Ridley Scott. We got to work well, with Well, without a doubt, because that was again, part of our monopoly was we housed the talent. Yeah. We were the place where the talent had to come to primarily earn a living, mm -hmm. you know, to, to really find an ecosystem where they could work, and now they've entered that business as well. And by the way, at a very, very dramatic, you know, statement, so it just starts to lift the whole market because everyone tucks in from there. Well, mm -hmm. if he did this, where am I? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't... I would say this because I've been doing it a long time. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I would make deals and have. I mean, I started with Ryan. You know, mm -hmm. we had a lot of success together. I'd make deals with every one of those people. I mean, they're fantastic talents. With that said, history would say that outsized overall deals with talent, and I can think many, many of them over the years, very rarely ultimately pencil out in that fashion. Um, they're statements, but it's very. There's very, very, very few that ultimately. That ties into the, the next thing I wanted to get your get your thoughts on. Like, it is a content arms race. Everyone loves to talk about the budget that Netflix has and, and sort of how some of the other tech giants are how much money they're spending on on content. Is this sustainable? It feels like realistically it can't be if you're taking on if you're a tech giant like like Netflix and you're taking on this much debt to fund this much content. But then the market is responding and there's more and more scripted shows coming out and there's more and more money being spent on really high-end productions. Is this sustainable or, or is, is there going to be some sort of burst coming at some point? Uh, look, I, I, I think certainly the, the, the scale that they have getting, the, the advantage they're getting internationally is, mm -hmm. uh, is, is the right strategy. Eventually, the laws of gravity do exert themselves, and uh, as do the cycles of business. And, and sooner or later, you're measured on a more uh, universal business metric of your actual earnings mm -hmm. to the investment. And when that happens, then they are in one line of business. Yeah. Because somebody could say, well, Amazon, Amazon played that game for years. Amazon was in multiple, multiple businesses, um, including some incredibly powerful ones uh, beyond the shopping experience, as we know. So, yeah, I do believe at some point that uh, will write itself a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, a few more questions uh, before, before I, I, I let you free. Yeah. Um, one, uh, to sit down. Uh, <laughs> number one. Um, I'm not going to sit down. I like it up here. Fair enough. Right. Uh, you just help me interview everybody, yeah. I think. That would be a good way to do it. Um, uh, Turner itself uh, has historically made investments in a few digital companies, yes. right? Uh, Mashable, uh, I believe, Refinery29. Um, it doesn't seem to have worked out for those companies. I mean, Refinery just had yep. a round uh, of layoffs. Yes. Uh, why would you think that is the case? What have you seen from investments to where some of these uh, digital businesses are? Well, it's a, a, a point of frustration. I mean, we had a philosophy about what we hoped we could do in the space. Um, some of it was a little thwarted because we got into an acquisition situation and we had to hold everything steady. I mean, anyone who's gone through it knows you're usually not buying or selling anything during that period. Ours was even prolonged because we got in this DOJ lawsuit that cost mm -hmm. us another 20 months. Mm -hmm. So that was one factor. 
The other factor is that space itself that I think many people in the room here have lived. You know, mm -hmm. that was a crazy space. Um, we got involved with some companies that we thought were doing really interesting, potent things. I'd say one of the things that made me concerned about that so it's just a social publishing space is that, and I was at these kind of conferences only a few years ago where it was like, these were it and everything else was dead and this is gonna, you know, BuzzFeed is gonna dominate. And Vice, great. I, I think they're amazing businesses, but what we've certainly seen is when I got in under the hood of a lot of these companies, I'd say, no, no, that's amazing, that level of engagement, absolutely, with this new mobile-centric generation, you've gotta be there, I love it, I love it. Okay, great, so where does this now come around and how does that, how, how does that now become the business? Where do we go from here? And they start describing things that sounded a lot like my business. So I'm saying, well, wait a minute, you're building a new frontier, but ultimately you wanna turn your business more into my business, yeah. and we're trying to turn ours into yours? Something's not right here. And the more and more and more we did it, we realized that the ultimate return when it really came down to it and they had to begin to justify to their investors was, well, we're gonna get IP and make television. So that was becoming- How fresh and novel of an idea. It was, no, it was becoming a very unusual that's, uh, that's fair. conversation. Uh, one final question. Um, I'm gonna borrow a really cheesy, I'm gonna say something really cheesy borrowing from a sister company. You know, if winter has come yes. for the entertainment industry for television. Is that from a show? I think it's from a show. <laughs> I, actually, I came up with it. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna- You're a fascinating some, man. I'm, I'm gonna need some money for that. Um, give me something that is, like, give me a positive, like the thing that says, you know, this is not all bad. Like there is some, some, some positives to look out for that signal at least some good, good things coming for this business in the future. Well, I mean, I love change. Yeah. I, I mean, if you like excitement and opportunity, change is what you thrive on. I mean, uh, stability is a nice thing to wake up in the morning and just not have your anxiety rise. But if you really want to be involved in what's coming next and writing rules, there's no better time than now. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't mention the name, but I was recently meeting with an international billionaire, very, very successful entrepreneur, uh, who was not in this business, but has invested in this business. Uh, it was not the Saudi prince. And, <clears throat> but he was interesting, and I was talking about some of the tumult we're going on right now, and he's just in the middle of it, he said, that's where the money's made. And that is where the money's made. If you're an entrepreneur like him, you don't want stability, you want instability so you can come in and create something new. And I feel the same way even in our own company. Um, I, I, yeah, there are days that it feels existential, but I think that that's an opportunity to just evolve to the next step. Great, well, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, Kevin, this was great. Thank you so much for, for making the time hey, for guys, us. Thank you for it. your time. Appreciate right. it. Thank you all for listening. I'm Aditi Sangal. Did you like the show? Rate us and leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get this podcast. We're also on Spotify now. You can also write to me or tweet at me. I'm at Aditi Sangal or Aditi at I'll be back soon with another episode. Stay tuned.